Okay, welcome back to Roll Film. We took a nice break for Thanksgiving. Hope you were thankful for that or you missed us. One of those two. Gobble, gobble, y'all. Yeah, yeah. A little Southern turkey there. I liked it. (laughs) We're very thankful for our new intro music from The Dustin Meadows. Thank you so much for that awesome theme song. Yes, thanks again, Dustin. Two time guest on our show i know i bet we owe him a third now for that probably you probably right yeah and if you're looking for great composing of music from him or anyone just go to him and check him out you can find his links on all the episodes we've had him on Mm, now you gotta listen to us again all two of them you nerd (laughs) (laughs) but today is the end of our first nolan november november I just dropped a bomb. Get it? Did you poop? No, that it's the end of. <laughs> no, no, I got it. I'm oh, okay, saying. good. <laughs> and that is a big segue to Nolan's most recent offering, Oppenheimer. Man, what a doozy! I'm going to kick it on over to Greg for the numbers because we got a lot to cover. A lot to cover and a lot of facts. We are doing Oppenheimer. This week, to close out Nolan November, it was released in 2023, and it's rated R, and it has a runtime of exactly three hours. If you couldn't tell how long this movie was, your bladder will be yelling at you at the end of it. Um, it might explode. It exploded on the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Oppenheimer is the story of an American scientist, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Now I'll give you a bomb of details with the numbers. The budget for this movie estimated was $100 million opening weekend. It did almost that at $82.4 million. And worldwide gross to this date, it's so close to a billion, but it is only 900, or yeah, $950.5 million. Isn't that pretty crazy? That is really crazy for how new this movie is. Super new, and I got a pretty cool fun fact about the budget in itself. This is the highest grossing film World War II period of all time. Wow. Um, It surpassed Saving Private Ryan, which was released in uh, 1998 as the domestically. And then worldwide grossing movie was actually Nolan's other period piece of this, Dunkirk, in 2017. So he surpassed two movies, one being super, super good. Two have Matt Damon, too. Two have Matt Damon, and only one of them, he's a problem in. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, John, you're right. Like, could we start going through some of these huge actors that are in this movie? This movie does have a lot of actors. And I don't just mean, like, because all movies usually have a lot of actors, but, like, big-name actors will come in for just one scene or just a couple lines of dialogue. But I think that just goes to show how important this movie was. Also, for how actors trust Nolan 
and his writing and directing. And, you know, I'm going to say it right now. This is not my favorite Nolan movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's an important movie. I did a little research. Certainly, I was my Wikipedia warrior self. That's about as far as I went. But this is a story that I, I knew the name Oppenheimer. I knew who he was. But I, I've never really sat and thought about the weight this guy must have felt for what he created. Like, this is like Frankenstein's monster times a billion. Cillian, as the lead, crushed it. So good. Even, like, I looked up pictures of the real guy, and I was like, dang. Like, they did pretty good, you know? Like, Nolan kind of knows a thing or two about making a movie. You know, Nolan knows. That's what, he should, that's what his film textbook should be called he's not going to do that he's better than that but that's not the uh queens of the stone age song that nolan knows. oh my gosh oh boy that's how we keep you around you're a wild yeah. card but you're right too john i gotta also piggyback and agree chris nolan's efficiency with this movie even though at a three-hour runtime it can only be measured in real numbers and here's the real numbers john he only needed three months to prep for this film Three months. And do you want to take a stab at how many days it took to shoot the whole thing? Man, I don't know. Uh, let's say 60 days. Oh, you are so close, John. 57 days. Uh, price is right rules. I'm over. I'm dead. Yeah, no. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a squad of people coming over to dip you into the liquid goo like in Roger Rabbit. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm a cartoon. I love it, man. And it's actually Chris Nolan's first r-rated film since insomnia which we've also reviewed on here yeah i thought about that i and you know definitely they went heavier on the uh the graphic stuff in this one um and people listen you're like well of course the violence that is not what i'm talking about <laughs> the violence the humanity yeah, yeah yeah i actually i feel like any sort of stuff that was violent was like super artistic as well and they did a really good job there I mean, the nudity kind of threw me for a loop. I wasn't really ready for that. I was not expecting that came out of nowhere. And I'm watching this movie in the common room of the, the house. <laughs> and we've got Emma here. I hope she doesn't come out to see Florence pubes. Like, I don't, I didn't need any of that. <laughs> like, yeah. I like also, to think that it didn't even call for nudity, but Florence was like, I'm doing it, you know? <laughs> well she and she was like i don't i don't care if it's a short role like i just want to work with say that i've worked with chris nolan and the nudity in this it's so artistic it's beyond artistic it's sure it's sexualized because of the act that it is in they're doing it it's not like game of thrones no like style of of that no this no is, I, and then what's funny to me is i guess i didn't i didn't realize scientists got so much booty back in the day like man well, Nerd. communist. <laughs> communist Commie, got Commie ass. Commie like, ass. <laughs> Commie nast. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, it's true. The commies like, oh, look at that nerd. Dude, that's so funny. And yeah, you said something about Cillian Murphy crushing this role. And it's crazy to think too, John, like this is the sixth movie. Am I correct on that? With, yeah, sixth collaboration with uh, Cillian Murphy and Chris Nolan. And this is his first lead in one of those movies that's a good point yeah 
Yeah, and I mean, and we can go through those, you know, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Inception, which we did last time, uh, Dark Knight Rises, and Dunkirk, uh, where, you know, he's kind of just the voice in that, but I liked all of it. The, the whole movie was really, really good, and it was shot really great, but when I hear things like Christopher Nolan really wanted to surpass his previous long-running film with Interstellar at 169 minutes, to do this movie at 180 listen my guy people need to pee and if you want to take that much time please just do a badass miniseries like or a two-parter you know two-parter would be fine like it's just it's so much i'm i, I don't think i could have stood stood being at the movie theaters watching this i'm glad i was at my own house watching this which, John, thank you for letting me borrow it, even though it was your birthday present for me. Yeah, I was just about to say, thank you for giving it to me for my birthday. <laughs> teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. But yeah, just like they made the bomb using teamwork. Teamwork of scientists, like smart, <laughs> super smart scientists. And Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. And I mean, so spoiler alert, when they show the test of the A-bomb, that would have been a perfect ending for part one. I feel like because it was super dramatic, you know, they, they show like the blowback and all, everyone's just in awe. That's what the A and A-bomb stands for. Oh, like it's awesome. awesome. But it, yeah, but no, I think that would have been a good place to just kind of fade to black and get ready. And you could call it Oppenheimer two fallout. No, I'm just kidding. But it's... <laughs> I, I mean, maybe, that would yeah. be completely dumb and cheesy, but I would go. Not no one's style, that. but yeah, I like to think I like to think he knows about that kind of stuff. Nolan, he, knows. I would assume he does. I mean, just goes back he, to the Nolan knows textbook series, but chapter five. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nolan I know. knows. I expect there to be slow parts in these kind of biopics. There's always going to be slow parts, and in fact, when there's not slow parts in a biopic, I'm a little suspect because it's like, okay, Hollywood changed some things because no one's life is crazy all the time. That being said, even with the, the very long runtime of three hours, the slow parts aren't too long. They do contribute to the story, and then something crazy happens, and it's, it's drama. There is action in the traditional sense. It's a freaking bomb, but most of the super interesting parts are tense there's suspense there's thriller it's a, it's almost like a more of a spy thriller in a lot of ways than just a biopic yeah and a spy thriller i would agree it's like a spy war movie at the same time because we, we can't forget we're in the middle of world war ii at this point that this whole movie right as the and cold war approaches as the cold war approaches and the bombing of hiroshima and nagasaki you know in our own history it's also extremely coincidental. Um, I just finished Band of Brothers like three days ago. So <laughs> um, for that to go all for cir full circle right now at this point, this is done very, very well. This movie, I don't think we can say enough how good the movie is shot. And all the acting in the whole movie is phenomenal. There's not an actor that you see that you're like, oh, that's Huey from The Boys. Like it's chock full of people and that's the big allure of it, because obviously that's why you would want to go see this movie. But John, you're right, dude. It's so long and drug out. Like that entire monologue I just did, I did that on purpose. 
they, they elongate the scenes and they do it in a really cool way by building that suspense. And the reason why this movie is three hours is to show the deceit and the drama and the knife in the backs of basically everything. And that's how it's personified through all the dramatization. It was done very well. It Absolutely. Was too long. It yeah. was too long. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, you get the classic Nolan time jumps. They're there. And then you even get the artistic representation of time jumps with black and white and some full color and others. What I think this movie did really well was it's clear that Oppenheimer was just a scientist who wanted to serve his country. He didn't have like political affiliation or strong political affiliation. He just didn't like Nazis who didn't like him, obviously. And, you know, not a big anti-Semite fan, which I'm, I can get behind that, but yeah, it's like I don't like the Nazis either. I just had to say that before John's finished. I am. Not oh, see, that was my whole thesis was you were a Nazi, so <laughs> I gotta we gotta cut. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like you said, the knife in the back, like he is just a scientist. He's not a politician. He's not a military guy. I do think his relationship with Damon's general character is really cool because they do grow to appreciate each other and. Damon really goes to bat for him later, but he's like, look, I can help you with this. Everything outside of making this bomb, I, I have no say. I, you know, I, I'm not worried about the Red Scare. I'm not, it's just like, because he wasn't 100% patriot for the United States, even though he essentially ended the war. Uh, well, I mean, some would say that Japan was ready to surrender anyway. That's kind of part of the moral dilemma. They put in this movie but he's thought of as a hero and then quickly turns to traitor but then on top of that it's like well is it that people are think he's a traitor or is there just someone behind the scenes pulling all the strings like that whole drama of the movie and and that's why two movies would have made a lot of sense because you have everything building up to the bomb and then i know i made this stupid pun earlier but then you have the fallout of all the implications of it's just like, he's just a scientist. He's not, a, he's not trying to cause an uprising of communism. He's, you know, he's, he literally just wanted to help win the war and make the war. And he even, ah, oh man, like, I don't want to give away too much because you got to see this movie. And if you got to break it up, I highly, I mean, Nolan does a really good job. It's like an hour and a half in, it's almost a new story. You know, hundred percent can I can confirm because I paused it at that exact time frame. It was an hour and twenty seven minutes, and I was like, "This could be the it. This could be it." And I would come see the next part of this next year, and I would have been totally fine with that. We've done that for how many years now with the Harry Potter movies, the Hunger Game movies. I mean, hell, dude, how many seasons of House of Cards did we get? Like, this is basically. Robert Downey Jr. is kind of Frank Underwood in this, um, in that sense of the Kevin Spacey, but just push it along. Let's leave the station already. Come on, let's drop that bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone does such a good job, and I had to break it up. I, I, I was, I started watching it at 9 p.m. last night, and I was like, oh, three hours. I don't think I'm gonna finish this, and I made it. A little bit over two hours and i was like all right just one hour more and then i was like oh boy i could feel it i'm 
I just I just turned 40, so the eyes just shut now. I don't have any choice in the matter. We've already talked about this, that Nolan's movies aren't complicated, but they do require your attention, like a good movie does. And I don't want to miss anything, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did take a break because I was able to just remember where I left off and come right in and pick the story right up. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think, though, that this is like prestige or inception-esque like you have to watch the screen the whole time because there's plenty of times where you could kind of drop down to your phone maybe check an email while the movie's been played and it, there's not you're not going to miss a sleight of hand i guess is, is oh yeah like, there's no twist yeah there's nothing like that you need to be like oh you should have been paying attention to like minute 17 of the first part like yeah it's nothing like that it's it's a very conducive movie that you can fade in and out of carefully and enjoy it just as much as somebody who was glued the whole time. It demands your attention, not so that you can understand the plot. It's just so you can see the gravitas of this dude's life and how, like I said, I was aware of who he was, but wasn't aware of all this stuff behind the scenes. Now, to be fair, I, I don't think Nolan totally fabricated everything that happened. Uh, I'll have to do some research because I know Hollywood likes to, Hollywood things up. I really was hit by how these scientists were just treated after basically giving up their lives so that the U.S. could have an advantage in the war. I mean, they moved out in the middle of nowhere. The military built a small town for them. And then after the war, it's just like, you're a commie. You're, you know, you're a traitor. And all. he's like, what? I mean, just the, the small inclusions with Albert Einstein and to see his disdain for politicians was great. And I love the political advisor was Alden Eldritch, his character, mm -hmm. how he was he was very supportive. Uh, well, it was literally his job to be supportive of Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Strauss, right? Yeah, Louis Strauss. Uh, yeah, Strauss. And he was like super supportive. But then towards the end, he's like, this dude sucks. And like hands him to the wolves in a, in a in sense. That's all I'm going to say. It's a little bit of a spoiler, but that's all I'm going to say. But I like that. I, you know, let's not forget Emily Blunt, who crushes it. Yeah. She crushes this to, to like for any macho man that still is around and they're like, oh, women shouldn't be acting, blah, blah, blah. You see Emily Who says Blunt, that? <laughs> idiots. You need to live. Some ancient Greek guy still alive, like, oh, it's only for the men. For her to come in and dude nobody she is at the same exact level of cillian murphy robert downey jr all these big names that are in this movie she was great and so was florence Pugh. i thought she did really good even though she's excellent a very very small part in this movie but very good small so, as far as screen time yeah. not as far as importance i would 100 percent agree yeah, her character was awesome, man. Yeah, like, I know we said the nudity was artistic and tasteful. There's just this one scene, and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's, wow. I was watching it like, jeez. And that's where Blunt and Pew both do really well together, and even though it's like a vision. It's not real, but it, it feels real. And Nolan's really good at that kind of stuff where he can give us a, a picture of what's going on in someone's mind. Obviously, Inception was literally that, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I, in other ways, too. I I loved how Blunt Kitty Oppenheimer, for all the faults of her husband and for her own faults, she loved him. 
and she defended him and she kicked ass as this like you know wife back in the day when women were seen not heard and right. it was uh you know it's it was a really powerful scene yeah it's such a small part but as someone who when we had our our kids it was such a struggle for both of us to figure it out and i have to imagine it was harder for people back then because it was just suck it up buttercup back then you know <laughs> and that wasn't even a big part of the movie but it was I feel like a big part of Oppenheimer's development and him being like, oh, my God, I no matter how smart I am, I'm not great with people. Yeah, I mean, that's immediately told with his inability to understand his impact on the Communist Party, even if he wasn't a part of the Communist Party. The fact that he was so well revered by all of his peers and for him to not realize that that was unbelievably incredible and Cillian Murphy played that very very well and especially just he thinks everything he's doing for the most part is harmless and he's doing all these things for all these people and he really just wants to help his country like you said of course he wants to be well known he wants to have some of that notoriety sure but he does not know how to read situation he shouldn't put himself into no (laughs) yeah that's very true he's like well whatever it's a free country I'm just going to this thing because I want I want to consider what they're saying. I'm a logical person. I want to hear opposing views and weigh it against my own. And he doesn't realize that he's a bit of a celebrity and that that there's certain implications that come with that. And when he's seen even just associating with certain people, that's viewed as, oh my God, he's a traitor. You know, it's just like he can't his life is over, so to speak. Like he it's not even his own. Like they freaked out when he wanted to leave the town and go have a personal life. And that was for everybody. It was it was so crazy. The the grimy politicians, how they put him on trial, but it's not a trial. So they can just break the rules and not submit evidence to his lawyer. I can't imagine the mental toll that it would take on a person to invent a weapon like that, thinking that, well, at least this will end wars, uh, this death, this suffering that. I'm having a hand in hopefully will detour future things that sacrifice alone. Don't know if I could do it. Then on top of that, after that, just to be completely disregarded by the entity, by the government that I gave up so much for, and then to be kicked to the curb, boy, oof, rough. Yeah. Kick to the curb and being painted so deliberately as a martyr the movie is genius in that fact and I, this is why i love this podcast because the fact that i just watched that movie and i'm discussing it with you and that's what's manipulating my rating in real time like i'm reflecting back at how great this movie is even though my big complaint is that obviously it's too long but can you give me a th- something else that you didn't like about this movie other than the runtime not really it's not like boring, boring, certainly slow parts, but there's also the character building of Oppenheimer is really good because he's a bit of a womanizer. He's a bit of a party guy at certain times. And and you can see as he got older and had to sacrifice that fun, he was really bummed out about that. He kind of liked being just a scientist at a university and just kind of like doing his own thing. And he can't do that anymore. He can't be what he used to be. It's no it's no longer pursuing science for fun and, and for truth. Now it's 
I, I work for the government and this sucks. But, and that's what it was because there's there's multiple times in this movie where he's being pulled into all these directions and not realizing all like we're saying and his peers are the ones pulling him back, you know, in the beginning. And you got to forgive me. I cannot remember this actor's name, but the guy who was Bernard in David Krumholtz. David Krumholtz is he's saying to Cillian Murphy, like, please take that uniform off that's not you're a scientist right you know not a military man and then there's like later in the movie russian-ish doctor or the french doctor maybe he's like you're you're not a scientist you haven't been a scientist in months you're a politician now like yeah so like it's he's being pulled so yeah it was done so well and and i i would like you john i don't think i could pick apart this movie any further than it was too long right yeah, Krumholtz was another actor who I thought really hit it out of the park because obviously he's smart, but he was so much of the humanity of Oppenheimer. You could tell that his character provided a sense of empathy and emotion so that Oppenheimer didn't get lost in the work, didn't get lost in the science and and, and kept the humanity there. So. That was something. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Like he was the complete opposite of Matt Damon's character, in the sense of he wanted him to keep doing it no matter what the government wants it done. Wants mm-hmm. one, yeah. Well, with that being said, what was your favorite scene? Oh man! Before I give you my favorite scene, I had to pick this out because it was really funny. Matt Damon, you know, he was on a hiatus. Uh, he wanted to take a break from acting, and he told his wife, uh, "The only thing that will." make me turn down this break is if Chris Nolan calls me and sure enough, Chris Nolan called him and then he took his break on hiatus. It's like that answered my question from like last week or the week before Michael Caine retired. Chris Nolan, I think could get him back. Yeah. I think <laughs> like he thing. get anyone. I think he could, he could, get, he could call me anything. He got Gary hour. Oldman for a scene. <laughs> Gary Oldman. That's also why I didn't understand the casting of Josh Peck. Like you had the caliber of these mecca mecca actors, and then Josh Peck is just does two scenes in a line. That's because Nolan loves Drake and Josh. Maybe I don't know. Never seen the show. No. I was just big Vine fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> favorite scene though, John. That is a real tough because it's all one long scene. Do you have one queued up? Do you want to go? I do. I can go yeah, first. Let's go with you, John. Yes. Before I started the movie, I'm like, obviously, my favorite scene is going to be the test scene where it's I am become death, devour, uh, destroyer of worlds. I hope I got that quote right. Pretty close. But um, because that is that is super powerful, that that had to have been a crazy sight for him to see that it worked and to just see the devastation in a test site to know what it's going to do to people. But that's not my favorite scene because the scene after the bomb is dropped where he goes into that auditorium and he's getting cheered, man, you could just see on his face, like, what have I done? I killed thousands. And he's, he's totally personalizing it, even though it wasn't his decision to drop it, even though, you know, he had a hand in it. He, he could not separate the fact that he created this just death machine and that people were applauding it. And just the lighting that made it look like the bomb was going off and that people like you couldn't tell if they were disintegrating or if it was like the pom poms of people cheering like that was so beautiful in a tragic way. And you're like this dude in a lot of ways succeeded like no other scientist had ever succeeded before him. 
like did something people thought were impossible. He was only he was always just a theoretical scientist. The success feels like he opened Pandora's box, like it was the end of the world to him. And Cillian did such a good job con- conveying that, and that's my favorite scene. Yeah, and what a great scene. And what makes that scene so good is the concluding scene that we see the interaction between Oppenheimer and Einstein. I think that that in that moment, he's realizing that conversation by the pond. And you're right, John, that's that's super powerful. But I thought of two great scenes. Um, so the obvious one for me, because I, I've been on here before saying my praises about Gary Oldman, the scene with Eisenhower and him, and and he's he looks up at Gary Oldman, Cillian Murphy does, and he's like, I've got the blood on my hands. And that was Truman, not I Eisenhower. Meant, what did I say? Yeah. Eisenhower? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Truman. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> true. I did mean Truman. Great um, scene, though. Great, great scene. And, and he and Truman takes out his kerchief and throws it at Silly Murphy's like, I've got blood on my hands. Like, people don't blame you. They blame me, basically. So it's like, you can get away. He's trying to basically say, don't worry about it. But, dude, Emily Blunt's scene in that interrogation was beautiful the fact that she stood up with a bigger set of balls than cillian murphy on that chair and was like don't talk to me like i'm some pea brain woman this is the answer this is how it is and she had the counsel at the end of the table the one dude nodded at her like yeah absolutely she's right you're wrong yeah so emily blunt crushed it man she was good everybody was great i was gonna say probably gonna see some oscars at least nominations for a lot of people in this movie, I would think. Be shocked if, if this didn't win. Would it lot. blow you away? <laughs> oh, it's super funny because it's bomb reference, and that's funny, right? Because bomb. Oh, anyway, my rating. Yeah, John, um, what would you rate this movie out of ten? So it's actually like the lowest of all the Nolan movies I've rated, only in that runtime gets you. But I'm going to say an eight out of ten. My rating would be uh, eight and a half out of ten. But despite the runtime, it would be a nine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's You, you got to watch it. It's so important. I think I, I have to do my research to make sure it's totally accurate. But even if it's not, it's a, it's a really well done movie about a person that people should know more about. Yeah, because, I mean, as far as I'm aware, and I think your research would probably turn this up, the, the whole movie was based off of the book American Prometheus. Yes. Uh, which was all uh, the whole yeah. story. So I, I think he obviously just did a greatly done detailed uh, version of that. And I'm not going to read this book to figure out if how much Wolf <laughs> of Wall Street did did they make this movie up. That's so, great. But, yeah. Well, you can't get me to read Hollywood. You won't do it. <laughs> that's going to do it for Nolan November, at least the first and I don't know. Maybe we'll do it again next year. We'll see next year. Nolan. Um, or but, we do another director with uh, the last name starts with N. That could work out, too. No, there's not another one. There isn't, actually. I looked it up just now. John, what are we going to be doing for December? You know, everyone's probably expecting us to do holiday movies, and I think we actually have one queued up. But Greg and I decided to do documentary December. I think it's a great genre of film that does not get talked about a lot. I don't know why I talk like this, but uh, I did. And so we're going to be watching some awesome documentaries. We're real excited to cue those up for you. So please stay tuned for that. And also after 
we get through with our outro here, stay tuned for Dustin Meadows' awesome outro music, too. That's right. We got two songs. Oh, yeah. We got an intro and an outro. And, yeah, we will see you in December. <laughs> December. I'm not calling it that. Although I do like <laughs> that a little bit. <laughs> I like that we just never agree. But that's that's who we are. Actually, I feel like if you listen to the podcast, we agree, like, a lot. but A lot. Almost too much, which is usually <laughs> why we need a third person. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to do it for Nolan November here at Roll Film. We're going to roll on out of here, and I will become fat, and I will be destroyer of sandwiches and film it. Boom. It's true. And happy late birthday again, John. Oh, happy, yeah. Happy 4 buddy. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.